1: so you can focus on your core business goals, confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose SixthSense, visit SixthSense.com.
0: Two years ago, the Electronic Frontier Foundation presented at Black Hat about an operation that they called Operation Manual.
1: That's Mike Murray. He's the VP of Security Intelligence at Lookout. Today, he's discussing research from Lookout and the EFF about the recent discovery of Dark Caracal, a mobile advanced persistent threat actor conducting a global espionage campaign.
0: Operation Manuel, at the time, was believed to be the Kazakhstan government, and we still believe it was the Kazakhstan government, but at the, at the time, it was the Kazakhstan government working with a lower-end cybersecurity actors. And so one of our leaders uh, on my team was reading the report, and the report mentioned that they believed that there was an Android component, a, a mobile malware component, to the attacks, but that they didn't have any evidence of it. And Lookout has a huge data set around what is mobile. We have over 50 million apps in our uh, app database. So, uh, he he looked at it and thought, well, if there's anyone who's going to find the, the Android component, it's us. <laughs> and he went looking and found it. And what we originally started out with was a blog entry that simply just stated, "Hey, we went and found the mobile component of this. Here's the mobile component and we We reached out to EFF and we all agreed that we would work together to put out a couple of blog entries and just say, hey, look, we found this. And as we started to investigate, things stopped making sense. Hmm. So, you know, you had this report that was all about Kazakhstan and about this actor in India that was doing this work. And the information that we started to see started to be inconsistent with the narrative that we thought we were looking at. Um, and And we were in some ways very lucky because the attacker had made some errors that left some significant parts of their infrastructure with information public that they probably didn't want to see uh, or didn't want us to see. We found, for example, uh, they had left the logs of everyone who's connecting to the server and connecting to the system either either compromised people, you know people's devices who were uploading data to the server as well as the administrative logins, who was actually logging into the system. And we started to look at it and it had nothing to do with Kazakhstan. And, and so we started to we started to pull on the threads as one does in an investigation. And more and more it started to point to a much more globally active actor. And an actor who was doing very nation state level things across a much wider swath than just what it originally be been reported. And at a point in the investigation, we got a lead on an email address that was used in many other campaigns. The the email address uh, is referred to in our report. um, And and we shorthanded the email address to OP13. But OP13 turned out that people had been seeing OP13 over the years, many, many years. Um, It had been attributed to uh, potentially looking like like the Russians, it had been attributed to various other actors. And we started to really pull on the threads to figure out what was behind this. And, and eventually realized that all of the connections from the server and all of the information, and, and ultimately we're, we were lucky again in that some of the data on the server appeared to be the attackers testing their own software. And when they were testing it, it, it very clearly went back to this one building Um, in Beirut and and so suddenly nobody nobody ever thought of Beirut and Lebanon as having any sort of cyber capability so that was a huge surprise and we obviously chased it down further and and eventually wrote this massive report sort of detailing all of the activity that they were doing globally and what we were seeing and what information was available on the infrastructure that we had access to um, and information about infrastructure that we didn't have access to or we knew about and, and really just put all the pieces together but it took many many months and this this happened the, the original the original activity of going and finding the pieces of Android malware that the EFF had alluded to happened in May and obviously you didn't see our report until uh, until February where there was a lot of pieces to this
1: well let's uh, let's pull some more of those threads I mean take us through it you you get the revelation that uh, that things are happening in Beirut uh, and you I suppose want to sort of nail down that piece of information verify make sure that what, what you suspect is actually so uh, take it from there what happens next
0: I, i'll t- I'll take it from uh, I'll take it from the inside for a second mm. first of all a lot of conversations about really Beirut Lebanon that can't mm. be possible mm. um, and so because of our own doubt, because we all really had a whole lot of doubt about this, we we spent a lot of time fact-checking and trying to understand what we were seeing. And, and even to the point that um, we were lucky that uh, some people that were related to us had been uh, visiting Beirut, and we actually had them check out certain wireless networks. Um, and, and so actually, let me – let me back up for a second. Yeah, One of the big keys to understanding what the building was, was in those test devices, what, what we believed to be test devices. And the, the way we figured out that they were test devices is, for example, imagine you, you know, you're a, a malware author testing your malware. You're not gonna test it on your own phone. You're gonna test it on some burner phone that has uh, three contacts and four fake emails in it. And you're gonna see if you can steal that. Well, that doesn't look like anyone's real phone, right? Mm-hmm. And we found a bunch of things that looked like that. and. And all of these phones were connected to this one wireless network, mm. um, and so we started. We started out by doing open source intelligence on the various. There are various sites that you can say, you know, show me the places that this wireless network exists in the world, and and we have screenshots of that in the report where where the open source intelligence says this wireless network is, and then like I said, um, there was we lucked out in that some people were sort of transiting the country that was were friends of ours and and said hey can you just like walk by this and see if there's a see if you see this wireless network for real and obviously the wireless network was there and mm. it it turned out that there was no way that that wireless network was not in this one building um, and the building literally says on the top of the building that it belongs to the lebanese general security Directorate basically the the GDGS is the acronym. I don't remember what it exactly stands for, but that—that um, that is basically the the Lebanese version of sort of in in U.S. terms, it would be like the FBI, the CIA, and customs all in one building. These guys do border patrol and all these those things. Now, we never, we we cannot attribute, and we. We were very careful in our attribution because we don't know who inside that building is doing this. This might be freelancers who just happen to work for the government. They might have leased office space. We, we don't know exactly who the people are. And so we're being very careful in what we say because we can't prove it was actually the Lebanese government. We're, we're 100% sure that the people who are doing this were in that building. So, you know, draw further conclusions as you will.
1: So, I mean, take us from there. You determine that that's where things are going on and you're taking a closer look at this. So what exactly uh, does this uh, software set out to do?
0: The software sets out to steal people's information. And so let me let me back up for a second, just just on a more philosophical point. Hmm. Five years ago, you would have seen groups like this dabble in cyber espionage because Breaking into a bunch of people's desktops, you can steal information, but it's not really a great espionage tool. If I want to chase bad guys, say, say I want to do—I'm uh, going to pick the nice case. I'm going to pick the case that everybody's happy with. Um, and say I want to do counterterrorism, right? And I want to—I want to track down terrorists. Breaking into their laptops, it tells me a little bit about their operations, and I can probably read their email, et cetera, et cetera. Breaking into their phones, when the phone has a extremely accurate camera, an extremely accurate microphone, a GPS that can geolocate you anywhere in the world. Breaking into phones gives you such a rich picture of people's lives that seeing these folks break into thousands of phones globally and steal information, you know, sort of indiscriminately. And and I have to say, we don't know what they did with that information. You know, that's, that's far outside my or any of my team's pay grade. Our, our job mm-hmm. is to figure out you know, that the attackers are doing it and work to protect the industry and protect our customers and protect the people around us um, from this kind of malicious behavior. But seeing that kind of widespread espionage activity where you have you know, information about exactly where your targets are at any given time, you know, the, the nation states have largely moved to this capability. I, I don't know of, of any major nation state at this point doesn't have a capability for this purpose right if I'm if I am any sort of well-meaning government um, if I want to track down drug traffickers or terrorists etc this capability is fantastic as long as it's used appropriately now of course what we also see is it being used illicitly I'm sure that some of the people who were attacked by this were were used in appropriate ways but we've seen, around the world and not specifically in dark caracal because we didn't we didn't dig too deeply into who the victims were again beyond our pay grade and frankly um there was just so much information it was really hard to do we had we had over a half million text messages it's it's really hard to to have you know to have people on my team sit and try and read through a half million text messages especially given the region of the world how many of them were in arabic or um, you know, other languages or even dialects of Arabic that the people don't understand over here. Right? We weren't going to analyze who the targets were, but the the point being, um, these targets were compromised in a level that they could be followed around. Their, you know, their phone calls could be recorded and were recorded. You know, all of their personal information was stolen. Their pictures were stolen. Like, this is an incredibly deep compromise of these people's lives. And because of that, you start to see. Um, a real shift where where five years ago, if you were going to have this capability, you had to be a top level nation state. Now you see even the minor nation states moving towards this capability because it's so valuable to you from a from an espionage
1: perspective. Now, are they getting these components off the shelf? are they are they custom developing? What's the the spread, your analysis of the software? What are you seeing here?
0: little of both so what we really saw was a lot of these tools are variants of things that have been out in the world malware on uh on the desktop for example it, one of the main pieces of malware that they seem to use a lot is known as banduk banduk have been available on the black market for a long time what was particularly interesting about what we saw with their use of banduk was the version of Banduke that they had didn't correspond to the version that's available publicly. They had the super premium upgrade, so to speak, Hmm. um, with functionality that didn't exist in the one that you could go buy on the dark web. The Android malware, however, seems to be largely custom-developed. We hadn't seen it before in that exact form. I I, I think... There's no malware author in the world that doesn't, or no, or no software developer in the world that doesn't borrow code from places, right? Sure. Um, I, I've never, I've never, never met a software developer who didn't go to Stack Overflow at some point and cut and paste a piece of code. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: so, so that stuff exists, and so you know, not exactly off the shelf, but traditionally, sort of the way that everybody else does it. But that malware was relatively unique, as was the other piece of. What we believe to be in early development malware that we called CrossRat, it appears to be almost, in fact, the version number on the first version of CrossRat we got was 0.1. We, we saw that as sort of next generation capabilities that they're just evolving into. Um, it looks like they're trying to get away from the traditional Banduke malware because uh, so many vendors know what it is.
1: Yeah, before we dig into some of the details of CrossRad, can you give us an idea of the the breadth of operating systems that they're able to hit?
0: Yeah, so we saw pretty much everything um, on the desktop, so Windows, Linux, uh, Mac OS. We also saw Android. Now, what's interesting, people always ask me, well, what about iOS? And I think iOS is largely an issue of demographics for them. And and so if you think about the region of the world that they're operating in and what what many of their targets would be Lebanon, um, you know, for internal purposes, as well as neighboring Syria, Iraq, et cetera Those aren't places where people are buying a thousand dollar iPhone X very often. Right. Hmm. And so if I'm an attacker, I, I always explain attackers to people in terms of security software, or in terms of just normal software business. If you're a software developer and you know 95% of your customers are running Android, why would you spend all the time to build an iOS version? And so I think if you were to see that region become extremely you know, heavy in iOS, you'd see them evolve an iOS capability. But, but what we saw was so prolific, You know, if you're getting all the information on most of your targets, why would you invest in building another version?
1: Take me through the timeline here, because one of the things that struck me about your research is how far back this campaign goes.
0: Absolutely. And and this is why this is actually why we named it Caracal. The EFF folks love cats and so do we. So <laughs> so like Manuel is a ver- is a type of cat. Um, a caracal is also a type of cat. But one of the one of the things when we were looking into into names was that the caracal has it's a cat that has often been seen. And been mistaken for other types of cats, hmm. and and that's what that's what we saw here is that these folks have been active for quite a long time. The infrastructure has been up for many years. There there have been attacks reported against that infrastructure for many years. Um, even the manual work was two years ago, right? And and even with that manual work, where it was attributed to somebody else, um, we saw that people knew that this was happening but they didn't understand the context of what they were looking at and that was to me the most fascinating thing is you could have an attacker that's this prolific you know doing doing politically motivated work attacking targets globally you know whether for Kazakhstan or for their own purposes or or for you know for other targets and these attacks are happening for years and years and even the best minds in security are looking at it and thinking it's something else. Um, it was very much a hiding in plain sight strategy. And I think part of that, we even fell victim to this in our discussions. The idea that it could be coming out of Lebanon was sort of an easy thing to write off. You know, mm-hmm. if, I, if I asked you about cyber powers like two months ago, Lebanon would be a long way down your list of, of people. Even if I said it's a Middle Eastern actor, you would probably say, Israel, Iran, Saudi Arabia, you know, you'd go down a long way on that list before you got to Lebanon.
1: Well, uh, but I mean, to that point, do you think that this indicates that Lebanon upped their game um, and or does it mean that there's more activity going on from some of these, what we would previously have described as lesser actors? Do you follow my line of questioning there?
0: Uh, Completely. And actually that, that to me... So people ask me what the real interesting point to this is. And there's so many little angles to this story. But for me, especially when I talk to our enterprise customers, when I talk to, you know, CISOs of big banks or, or, you know, anybody who's working globally, the most interesting thing to me is that it's no longer a game where APT only comes from China and North Korea, the Five Eyes and Russia. APT is becoming the providence because just like the internet has made, has democratized so many other things, right? You know, I remember, I, I'm old enough to remember 20 years ago when building a website required a special set of skills. Now it requires I pop up WordPress or I go to Squarespace and suddenly I have a website in 10 minutes. The same thing's happening for the bad guys. Same thing happening in the cyber attacker world. Ten years ago, to have this kind of capability, you had to put in, you know, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars like those large countries. Now, you can do it with a handful of computer science grads and a lot of cutting and pasting off of Stack Overflow and, and, and you know, pulling in open source t- tools. What this really says is the landscape of of attackers who can perform this level of espionage is, is is in the middle of exploding and especially because mobile is so useful you know if you think about the mobile platform as like if i really wanted to compromise your life and follow you around there's no better way than to track your cell phone sure right i can i can literally listen to you at all times i can you, you probably like you go into every meeting you you might close your laptop in a meeting but you very rarely turn your cell phone off in a meeting You know, so so the opportunity for these nation states who want to use this capability is expanding at the same time that it's becoming easier and more scalable to to implement.
1: Now, take us through the patterns of attacks here. How do people get infected and how targeted were the attacks?
0: Incredibly. So the way that across the board, the mobile kill chain, whereas on the traditional desktop, there's a million ways to get infected, right? You, you could go to the wrong website, you get phished, you know, someone attacks you directly, whether attacking your website, et cetera. The mobile kill chain almost always looks the same. And that it starts with some sort of phishing message. Um, we've seen a proliferation of text and other messaging based phishing that leads the victim to click on a link or go to a site which does one of two things: just asks them to install an app, which is what Dark Caracle did. They they literally had a page that was called Secure Android, and had Trojaned versions of all the communications apps you could think of, you know, hmm. um, and and so you would get a message from me, generally through Facebook. These guys use Facebook a lot. Generally through Facebook, you'd get a message from from me that said, "Hey, I just got an update to my WhatsApp um, that has extra security in it." Go to this site, grab it, and then we can talk extra secure, right? And we can talk more securely. Of course, you would download the app, install it on your device, and then I would have complete control of your device while you talk to me on WhatsApp.
1: But but to me, it it, um, it still functions as WhatsApp. It's just been trojanized. You bet it does. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's WhatsApp with a, li- WhatsApp with a little bit of extra, and the extra <laughs> is what you really don't want. Right. So what's interesting is it wasn't technically sophisticated. It relied on just simply people trusting the people that are sending the messages and falling for it the way that so many other phishing type attacks work.
1: But again, in terms of, of them targeting people, does it seem like, were they taking more of a shotgun approach or did they know who they wanted?
0: So we're not sure. and, yeah. and we that, That's the hardest thing. Like I, I, I've said it to many people. Um, understanding that kind of stuff is really above our pay grade. Mm. And, and obviously, we shared information with the appropriate authorities in various or in various countries to make sure that that people were remediating and people were were being protected but but ultimately I try we try to keep out of the attribution game it's my team and 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 pretty much any security research team is not tooled to understand The nuances of who everyone in lebanon is and whether they're politically relevant or and why they were targeted that's that's really a job for law enforcement agencies and like and and so we tried to stay away we we certainly saw what appeared to be patterns in the in the data but again didn't dig in because our focus was really on what does the software do how is it getting on devices and how can we stop that? And how can we inform the rest of the community on how to stop that as well? Um, you know, that to me is, is our primary mission. There are people in the world whose job attribution is, and they're way better at it than we will ever be. Um, I see a lot of security firms try and get into attribution, and so often it's wrong.
1: So let's talk about prevention uh, and, and uh, mitigation. If, if someone found themselves infected by this, uh, would antivirus discover it?
0: Absolutely. So especially now, right? It wouldn't have m- – most products wouldn't have when it first came out, obviously, because they didn't know it, it existed. But these days, um, since we released the report, we believe that, that pretty much, uh, you know, whether the CrossRider Banduk samples or the the Palace samples, which is the mobile malware – you know our customers have been protected against that for many, many months. The interesting thing is, you have to be in a place and a mindset where you know to install that software. And I think a lot of the times, targets of this kind of stuff, especially, you know, dissidents, reporters, um, political, you know, political figures, etc., they're not generally the most tech-savvy people. So making sure that they have the right controls on their devices is really, it's really paramount. But it's a message that we all have to get out.
1: Is there a false sense of security on the mobile side?
0: Oh, yeah, is there ever? We've all fallen into the belief. I think it's two pieces. First, we've fallen into the belief that because it's Apple and Google and they're such huge companies, that they'll protect us. Now, I'm old enough to remember a time... When people believed the same thing about Microsoft in the '90s, right? And, <laughs>
1: oh, and, come on, Mike! Nobody ever believed that about Microsoft. <laughs> oh, oh, no! You're, absolutely not. When when NT four came
0: out, people said, "Oh, this is the most secure operating system. We can run our business on it." Right, but, right. They, you know, in say 1997, yeah. there was that belief.
1: No, I, right? I, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I'm, I'm being, uh, I'm, 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 I'm kidding, but you are absolutely correct.
0: Man, we got disabused of that notion fast, didn't we? We did. Um, But what's amazing is we all believe the same thing about Apple and uh, especially Apple. Apple's done a really great job of making people believe this, but also Android. And so there's that part. I think there's another part to it. I think um, so many of us established our relationship with the technology that is a cell phone when it was basically, depending on how old you are, it was a brick that you had to carry around or it was like a Motorola Razor flip phone. And and the idea that that could be compromised to compromise your life was kind of, it was so far out there that nobody believed it. And I think a lot of people still believe that their mobile device is simply nothing more than a thing that they get phone calls on and take text messages on. And yet the mobile device has now taken this central role in our digital world, even up to and including that for almost everybody I know, the two factor token for all of their enterprise access is now on that device. And so we've put ourselves in this world where we think of it as a Motorola Razor flip phone, but it literally has the keys to everything and has the computing power of a Cray three supercomputer. And and I actually, that's an actually specific benchmark. The the iPhone seven is actually the equivalent of the Cray three
1: supercomputer
0: in terms of processing power and memory access. Whenever I tell somebody that they're shocked by it, which you really shouldn't be. And then the idea that you would take, That level of computing power, if I told you I was going to give you a supercomputer, but I was never going to secure it, I wasn't going to do anything to secure it, you'd be like, you're insane. And yet, almost everybody I know does that with their phones.
1: I I think you're right. I think for most people it doesn't even strike them that, uh, I think particularly on the iOS side, to even think to install any sort of uh, additional protection. Because there is the sense that the walled garden of the app store is going to protect you.
0: Right. It, and it doesn't work like that. You know, there, there has never been a computer system that didn't have vulnerabilities that could be exploited. And especially now, especially because of the value to the to the like to the high end attacker of compromising that platform that it, it's it's so valuable to the attacker that you have to realize that if there's vulnerabilities, there are people exploiting them and they're exploiting them for gain. And we just have to get our heads around that This thing that we carry around with us isn't a phone. It's a very powerful computer that almost everybody I know spends a lot of time basically connecting that to every part of their life. Their social media, their personal email, their work email, two factor tokens, you know, all of your contacts and calendar. Like if I have access to your phone, I can tell you everything about you. And, And that asset needs to be protected and yet, we treat it like it's not that kind of asset, and it's right. it's mind blowing to
1: me. You know, as an aside, it reminds me of a, a tweet I saw a couple months ago, or some. It was a, a long time Apple uh, employee, you know, one of the old timers, and uh, he said that um, you know this new iMac Pro that I just bought. He said has eleven times more RAM in it than the Apple II, and he said, and by <sighs> Apple II I mean all six and a half million Apple II's that were ever sold combined right yes exactly <laughs> this, on this one machine you know and and I, so i think you're absolutely right that for those of us who've been around for a while the scale of this the scale of how things have changed how things have developed i think it's beyond our capability to really imagine
0: you bet and you know what yeah. the you know what the worst part about what you just said is is the people who have been around for the for that long we you know I remember 15 years ago when I was a young whippersnapper 20 years ago I guess yeah. um, and when the senior executives wouldn't understand something like email and we would go wow that I don't get it how do you, why do you still have your email printed out for you that's insane we're now become all of all of us who are now C level executives and the people in charge are making the same mistakes about the mobile platform that we used to deride senior executives for making about websites and it's, you know, it's it's literally just the human condition that we, as we grow, we rely on our knowledge from previous eras. And if the previous era changes, we have to be really conscious about thinking about it. I love doing the, the Cray 3 supercomputer in a room full of C-level security executives because you literally can watch. It's fun to watch it from a stage because the lights come on and, and people are like, oh, my goodness. Right. I have an int- so we've we've taken <laughs> within Lookout to to calling it the forgotten platform, right? These these people, you know, us, me included. I, I'm I'm old enough to make the same mistake. These people are spending hundreds of millions of dollars protecting their Windows desktops and zero <laughs> zero dollars protecting their mobile devices. And yet, I, one of my favorite stats is we've started investigating this with our customers. Oh, for, for most enterprise customers, if they do a survey of what platform are people logging into Active Directory for, there's I have yet to find an organization in the last three years that is not more than 50% mobile devices, and in some cases, it's 80% mobile devices, hmm. right? Imagine if you had 80% of the devices in your network you have no visibility into. How do you protect that environment, right? But, but because we're still thinking about it the old way, we're we're blind to it in the same way that that the C level executives in the '90s didn't understand how the web worked.
1: So let's bring it home in tor- in terms of uh, recommendations. Uh, you know, your average person, your enterprise security professional, how worried should they be about this, and what steps should they be taking to make sure that they're not hit with it?
0: How worried should they be about it? Kind of depends. Yeah. How worried should they be about it today? Well, if I am I'm going to pick on some names. These are not lookout customers. I'm not, you know, talking out of school. But if I'm if I have a real nation state attack problem, right, if I'm anybody who has worried about APT in the last five years, defense contractors, uh, you know, financials around the world, any multinational, they should be terrified because those the nation state level attackers, the real serious what we would call APT have already figured out that a this device is so useful, right? In terms of getting access to corporate resources because of the two-factor tokens, but also getting access just to the the lives of your targets. Um, and you know, combined with, if I'm attacking your PC environment, I've got to get by firewalls and antivirus and all of this stuff. If I'm attacking your mobile device, you probably have nothing on that device that tells you that you've been compromised. So I'm not only am I blind, but it's the most valuable thing I can attack. If I was a CSO of one of those companies, I'd be freaking out. This would be the first thing I'd worry about. If I am a Midwestern credit union, and I'm picking on just some random thing that Mm -hmm. doesn't have a nation state attacker level thing, what I'm thinking about is in the history of security, all exploits commoditize. What is nation state only today Three years from now is going to be a Metasploit module that anyone can use. And so my, my thought would be, okay, maybe I don't have to worry about this in you know, uh, February of 2018 or March of 2018, but I probably have to worry about it in February or March of 2019. And I certainly have to worry about it in February or March of 2020. And so I better start planning. Now, if I'm just the average user, then all of the old rules that we had for PCs apply. Don't click on links from people you don't know. Don't install things that people ask you to install either over the internet or just through an email. Like the security awareness stuff applies, but what we found is really interesting. All of those rules that we had for doing security awareness well on the desktop, every single person has been taught in their corporate security awareness. When you get an email that looks suspicious, hover over a link to see that it's going to where it says it's going to. Sure. Guess what? You can't do that on a mobile platform. That doesn't work. So we've taught our users all this stuff about how to protect themselves. And most of it's not applicable to the mobile platform. And what we're seeing is significantly higher rates of bad behavior on the mobile platform. If I send a phishing email to an organization and I get 10% response, I'm gonna get 25% response on the mobile device. Hmm. Because all the things we've taught the users, first of all, all the things we've taught don't work. But second, the users are thinking, "Well, it's my phone. It's you know, it's not a really a computer. It doesn't have access to anything without thinking." It's back to that same. I'm still thinking of it as a phone, not as a super powerful computer that has access to everything in my life. You know, I'm not the one to to you know preach the sky is falling. Even though I obviously believe that there's some urgency here, but I think you have to really think about what your risk is because right now, let me back up for a half second and flip this over Hmm. when we saw pc malware evolve right starting in the 90s what we saw was the evolution went from small minor annoyance uh, you know in 1998 the i love you virus you know to to massive annoyance SQL slammer blaster etc to nation states later the mobile ecosystem is going backwards right you're going nation states and highly highly resourced attackers first and then it trickles down to the the cyber crime. So if I'm looking at 2020, 2021, 2022, that's when I think you're going to see the mobile platform becomes a real target for everyone. And it's my goal in life to get to 2021 and 2022, and not have every Android and iOS device, whether car, you know, light switch, etc. I, I don't want all of those things compromised by ransomware five years from now. I think it's important to just realize the scope of the problem and assess for yourself where you are in that spectrum of how fast you need to respond to it.
1: Our thanks to Mike Murray for joining us. You can find the complete report about Dark Caracal on the Lookout website. It's in the blog section.